Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace. How are we doing today? Hope everybody's having a good weekend. That was uh, amazing hearing some music this morning. Great job, guys. And uh, also just want to reiterate something that Ethan mentioned earlier during the announcements, that we do have those invite postcards at our next steps table. So feel free to grab a few of those, invite your friends, family members, coworkers uh, to Christmas Eve to hear the gospel. We're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior, so that's amazing. Well, my name is Clark, and I'm the pastor here. If I haven't met any of you, I'd love to meet you, connect with you afterwards. So feel free to stick around, uh, get the car all heated up, but I uh, would love to meet you, get to know you a little bit before you leave. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? We get a little bit of snow, so, so that's always fun. Well, today we're, I'm excited. We're going to continue a series that we started, uh, God With Us. That's our Advent series. And we're going to be talking about when God becomes personal to you. For many of us, uh, God can easily become uh, a doctrine that we learn. Christianity, Christianity itself can just become nothing more than a lifestyle that we pursue. Uh, But when we read the Bible, what we discover is that we learn that the core of what God wants is really relationship. It's personal. So today we're going to be looking at a concept that would make God personal to us. And that is that we're, talk, we're walking in the blessing and the favor of God. I want to talk with you this morning about what it means to be blessed. That word blessed, that's a word that gets tossed around quite a bit in Christian circles. If you've been around somebody who is a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard the word blessed being used. Um, If you live in the South, you probably hear that word blessed a lot more. But have we ever really stopped to think about what that word blessed actually means? Uh, Sometimes people use it and they mean it can mean that you're rich. Somebody has a lot of money. I'm blessed in that way. Other times it can mean that things are going really well for you. In other words, almost kind of like a Christian version of being lucky or having the odds in your favor. When someone sneezes oftentimes what do we say god bless you somebody just sneezed that was like perfect timing i i promise we weren't coordinating that at all it wasn't planned just worked out that way we use the word blessed all the time but few of us know it actually means the phrase blessed and highly favored actually comes from a statement that the angel gabriel made to mary when he told her she would be pregnant with jesus That statement is actually found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, which if you have a Bible, I want to invite you now to turn there with me, open it up to Luke chapter 1, and I want to take you through a song that Mary talks about this idea of being blessed. The angel says to her, as you're turning there, uh, in verse 28 actually, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, Mary's cousin Elizabeth, when she sees Mary, she uses the word blessed three times in just two sentences. Notice in verse 42 and verse 45, 
says this, In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. In verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. You see, Mary then composes a song in which she calls herself blessed, where she boldly says that people from that generation forward would think of her as the picture of what it meant to be blessed. Notice in verse 48, she says, From now on, all generations will call me, you guessed it, blessed. So what does that word mean? Well, if you look at verse 46, we'll see that song that Mary composed. And catch this, this is actually the first Christmas carol ever written. And the theme of it is what it means to be blessed. And spoiler alert, it's not a sentimental song. A lot of the Christmas songs that we tend to sing tend to be sentimental. We sing about chestnuts and open fires and you know other kinds of nonsense. And then we just get sick of it. We put it to the side. But I think what we're going to discover this morning here in this song is that a true Christmas carol is not sentimental. A true Christmas carol is revolutionary. It turns the world upside down. And this song that we're going to look at is about what it means to be blessed. And for many of us, we never think about whether we're blessed or highly favored, probably. Then there's some of us who say that we're blessed, but again, we don't really know what that means. But if we're able to get a hold of this concept this morning that we're about to look at in Luke chapter 1, we can capture the heart of the gospel, the message that turned the world upside down and everything in it. So let's read this song in its entirety. I want to read it all, and then I want to circle back around and ask some questions about it. So Luke chapter 1, hopefully you're there, starting at verse 46, says this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Okay, so this morning, I want to ask four questions. Four questions that we want to ask about this song. And here they are. Number one, would you have thought of Mary as blessed? Would you have thought of Mary as blessed? If you had just met her on the street and you had a conversation with her, found out about her situation in life, would you have ever looked at her and said, there is somebody who is blessed and highly favored? Question number two, what was the nature of her blessing? Number three, what was the basis of her blessing? And then number four, I want to ask in closing, are you living as one who's blessed and highly favored? So question number one, again, would you have thought of Mary as blessed? If you just ran into her on the street, would you look at her and say, there's somebody who is blessed and highly favored? Well, if we just consider the fact that when this statement was made, Think about the situation that she is in in her life. Her reputation had been forever ruined. 
at least in her generation it was, a teenage girl pregnant out of wedlock in that culture was a serious scandal. You add to the fact that she was engaged to another guy, and that guy lived a good ways away, so everybody knew that the baby could not be his. She was considered a loose girl, a girl who had cheated on a very good and gracious fiancé. By the way, the angel did not even tell Joseph about this pregnancy until several months later, which means that Mary had to endure this almost all by herself. And this stained reputation would stay with her for the rest of her life. Even after Jesus died, there was people that still said that she had gotten pregnant because she slept with a Roman soldier. The theory was still around. The early church talked about it long after Jesus had died. She had a reputation. Think about this. A reputation that was ruined by God. God did that to her. God didn't have to do that, did he? God chose to do it that way and ruin her reputation. Would you have talked to her and said, there's a woman who is blessed and highly favored by God? Plus, she was very, very poor. Indications are she was the poorest of the poor. And here's how we know that. The Jewish law said that when you had your firstborn son, you had to offer a lamb of thanksgiving offering as a thanksgiving offering back to God. Every Jewish family just about could do that. But the law made one exception, and it was that if you were so poor that you could not afford a lamb, you could give two turtle doves, which was essentially pennies. You see, when Mary and Joseph offered a Thanksgiving offering for Jesus, they offered two turtle doves, which means that they were at the lowest possible economic status of anybody in their society. Plus, there's just the difficulty of having a kid. I've seen my wife bear our first child now, and Lord willing, our second child in the spring. It's difficult for a woman in marriage when she's even taken care of. Scholars tell us that at her oldest, Mary would have been 17 years old. So here's this 17-year-old girl who's out of wedlock. She's dirt poor. And the angel shows up and says, hey, you're pregnant. Nobody's going to know about it. And by the way, the baby is God. And that's all. Good luck. You'll figure the rest out. What do you say if you're Mary? Because you can't even tell anybody the truth, can you? Because what would that conversation be like? Yep, I'm pregnant and the baby's God. Think about what you would say if somebody told you that now, you would probably be like, she's off her meds. That's what you would say in a situation like that. God put her in a situation where the only natural conclusion by any reasonable person was she was loose and she was a liar. Now, be honest. If, if you were looking at Mary based on all the externals, would you have called her blessed? No. But in the core of her being, she's carrying God. And she's going to give birth to a Savior that is going to reconcile the world to God. Her blessing consists of two things, and, and this is question number two. What was the nature of her blessing? There's two things in this song I want to highlight for you. The first thing is presence. Not like a present that you open, but presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, presence. Notice how much she speaks about God. Verse 46, God is my Savior. Verse 48, He looked on me. Verse 52, I was lowly and you exalted me. Verse 53, I was hungry, you fed me. Yet while making these statements, nothing has changed in her circumstances, have they? 
She's still poor. Her reputation is still ruined. Nothing has changed in her circumstances. So when she makes these statements, and, and she's not rejoicing in what God has given to her, she's rejoicing in what God has become to her in Christ. At this point, Christ in her is her only exaltation. Christ in her, the baby in her womb, is her only fullness. Christ is her only sustenance. The presence of God in her is her only salvation. See in verse 48, look at how she says it. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why are they going to call her blessed? Because she's driving the latest chariot? No. Here's why. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. What great things has God done for her? None. At least in the externals of her life, it seems that way. Nothing in her circumstances. But God has taken up residence inside of her. And He's going to bear her sin. He's going to suffer for her. Suffer death for her. Even, even though He's going to reconcile her to God forever. Why? Because for the Mighty One has done great things for me. You see, the Gospel is the three attributes of God that you see in verses 49 and 50 wrapped together. Notice, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. A lot of people have misunderstandings about that word holy. Holy just means wholeness. It's something that God created it to be. God is perfect. There's no defilement in Him. You and I get used to sin. God never does. We watch movies and we live in a world where it's all around us. We live, learn to live with dishonesty and pride, violence, immorality. God never gets used to it. Why? Because God is perfect. God is so infinitely perfect and so infinitely holy that there's nothing of our imperfection that God would allow to come into heaven. Because otherwise, we would turn heaven into hell. We would do with that creation what we did with this creation. And we would introduce all sorts of corruption into it, which presents a dilemma for us, doesn't it? How can we ever be close to God? How can God know us? Well, that leads to this other characteristic, merciful. Notice in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. Because God is merciful, He can't just look at us in that situation and just leave us to be. Isaiah in the Old Testament describes the mercy of God like a mother feels for her newborn child. You know, as a dad, I watch our son and I feel some of that emotion sometimes. Luca was not feeling well the past couple weeks. We had a sickness just kind of hit our home. We're just now kind of getting over it a little bit. But... Um, I'll tell you, like, whenever he's in pain, man, and parents, you understand this, whenever, whenever my son is in pain, if there was any possible way for me to take that pain away from him, I would do it in a heartbeat. When I'm with other people, I, to be honest, I don't feel that way. I may not want to take your pain. But I always want to take my son's pain. Nothing hurts me more than to see him hurt when he hurts than I hurt. But listen, not even that gives you a glimpse into what God feels for His children. Not even that does it justice. So it's almost staggering to watch the mercy that Jesus carried with Him. And God is holy, which means that He had 
to do something about our sin. He's merciful, which means that he wanted to do something about our sin. But he's also mighty, which means that he is able to do something about our sin. And you put those three characteristics together, and what you come out with is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God was doing his mightiest work for us when he came to Mary, and he was born, and he lived, and he died to save me. It's the mercy of God that is the best expression of his power. There's only one thing in the Bible that is called the power of God, and that's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. David thought of it this way in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You know, it's been said that if you could scale down the Milky Way to be the size of North America, the size of our solar system in the Milky Way could be the size of a teacup sitting in the continent of North America. The size of the earth would be almost imperceptible speck of dust inside of the teacup. And you and I would be like a speck on a speck in that teacup. God created all of that with his fingers, the Bible says. It didn't even take his arm. Yet, when he did this, that which Mary is talking about, did you notice in verse 51, she said, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And the gospel is called the power of God in the Bible. The gospel is the power of God because it is mercy in action. It's God's promise to you that he will take all the things in your life and use them for good. It's the promise that though you have forsaken him, though you have walked away, though you have defiled him, he never stopped loving you. He never gave up on you. He took the rebel not only did he make them his son and daughter, but he took the penalty for their sins into his own body because he did not want to live without you. That is the power of God. Would you really still consider the question of whether you're too guilty for God to save? Would you really entertain the thought that your life is too messed up, the addictions are too strong, the relationships are too broken? Do you realize that the creation all the world that we see, this entire universe, God didn't even take his arm. He just did it with his fingers. It's not called the power of God. There was more power that went into your salvation than went into the creation of the universe. Would you really entertain the idea that you are too far gone for God to save? David looks at this and says essentially what Mary says. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. It's like he's just at a loss for words. God, the fact that you created all this with your fingers, you spoke it into existence, but you are thinking about a speck on a speck inside of a teacup inside of the entire continent of North America. That I was the one that filled your mind. And we can see something that David cannot see. And so can you. And that's not only did he love us and think about us, he would come to earth and be born as one of us so that he could live the life that we were supposed to live and die the death that we were condemned to die so that we could receive his mercy and live in his holiness. That's the power of God. And when you get that, you say what David said and you say what Mary said, which is essentially this, to be filled with that God, that's a blessing. That's the treasure. That's the greatest blessing, the blessing that makes 
all other blessings appear insignificant in comparison is that God is ours. See, that's the problem with the prosperity gospel, isn't it? It prioritizes earthly blessings that God can provide over God himself. God becomes something like a pinata, and faith is the whacking stick. And if you whack God just the right way with this whacking stick of faith, then out of him comes the candy that you need. Prosperity, power, privilege. And listen, don't miss this. What Mary is trying to say to you, what Mary is trying to say to all of us today, is that God is his own candy. The greatest thing that God could ever give you is not necessarily to fix your reputation, to get you that job that you want, to elevate you to a position of power. God may do those things, and he may have a purpose for doing those things. But the greatest blessing that God could ever give you is himself. It's his presence. So that's the first thing that I want to highlight under question two, his presence. Here's the second thing, his promise. Notice in verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You see, Christ was a fulfillment. Christ was a fulfillment of a promise that God gave to Abraham to bless him and to make him a blessing. And did you know that that had happened, it had been 2,000 years since God had made that promise? And I'm sure that there had been a lot of people at that point who thought that God had forgotten about it because things were not going well for Israel. There's probably some who said, God has forgotten about us. If God even exists, he probably has forgotten about us. Did you know that it's been 400 years since God had spoken to Israel? What Mary says is, no, God hasn't forgotten. In all things, he was working just like he promised to bring forth Jesus, which was a greater blessing than any of us dreamed. In the same way that he's working in and through you, sometimes invisibly, sometimes silently, sometimes in your 400 years of darkness to bring forth Jesus from you. Sometimes it might feel like he has forgotten. I bet some of you, if you're being real honest, you might feel that way this morning. You feel like you're in a 400 years of silence. You feel like yourself thinks and feels, even says sometimes, God, I think you've forgotten about me. If you even exist at all, I feel like you've forgotten about me. But what Mary is trying to say to you and all of us this morning is don't believe that for a second. Don't believe that for a second that God has forgotten about you because he remembers his mercy. And it might be a long time since the promise that has been made, but God has a very long memory. He never forgets. God sent Jesus. And that proves to you that what he started, he will finish. God takes everything. That's the promise, the good and the bad. And he wants to make you like Jesus, to make you know and love God the way that Jesus does. He wants to make you a vehicle of his blessing towards others because that is the greatest blessing. So let's go back to that question at the beginning of our time this morning. Why did God do it this way? Why did God choose to do it this way? If God can send as many angels as he needs, why did God choose to ruin Mary's reputation when he didn't have to? Why did he choose to leave her poor for a time when he didn't have to? Why? Here it is, ready? Because he was allowing Mary to taste the cross. Because that's how he was going to bring salvation to the world. 
God saved the world not through Jesus' exaltation. God saved the world through Jesus' humiliation and crucifixion. In the same way, God extends salvation to the world not through the church's prosperity primarily, but through the church's death. God uses both. There's times where God prospers you. And He does that for a reason, so that He can use you to spread what He's given you. But God also allows His people to share in the cross. Because it's in the cross that God does His best work. So don't think that you're not blessed when that happens. We're blessed not because of all the circumstances in our lives are good, but because of the presence and the promises of God. Number three, what was the basis of her blessing? You should notice in this song that there's very little about Mary. Just a couple lines. The rest is about God. God's character, God's presence, God's promises. There's nothing in here about Mary's personal worthiness. There's a belief that some hold, a belief that Mary was sinless, a belief that Mary is somebody that you should pray to. To believe that Mary is sinless, to believe that she is someone who is part of the saving that happened to us, goes completely against the spirit of this song. Mary says, God is my Savior. Mary sees herself not as full of righteousness, but as guilty, unworthy, empty, hungry, weak, in need of mercy, in need of help, in need of strength, in need of a Savior. Mary's not saying, look to me, pray to me. Mary's doing what every gospel-loving person in the Bible does, and that's saying, I can't help you, but He can. That's why she says in verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord. Mary was not amazing. Jesus was amazing. So her soul glorified Him, not herself. And for us to idolize her misses the point of her song. Your life can only glorify one thing. If you're going to glorify your virtue, then you're going to miss the righteousness of God. Because the Gospel is that you were not sinless, so God saved you. You were weak, so God helped you. You were dead, so God went into the grave and resurrected from the dead so that He could be your life, your righteousness, your wisdom, your power, your help. He can be all of that. So that the glory would go to Him and not to any other human being. Listen, it's a betrayal of the Gospel itself when we don't learn from Mary's life. That Mary's point is not about Mary, it's about God. God is the righteousness. God is the Holy One. God is the Savior. God is the merciful one. God is mighty. Mary would not want glory. Mary is an example of what it means to believe the gospel. Mary would not want glory because she understood Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Mary would not want to point you to her. She would point you to Jesus because she understood that God does not give the glory of salvation to anybody else, not even his mom. Because Mary or any other example of faith cannot help you. Only the one who put nails in his hands and his feet and lived in your place and died the death that you were condemned to die. He's the only one who can help. Number four, Lastly, finally, are you living as one who is blessed and highly favored? Notice in Mary's song, those whom you would naturally think of as blessed are not. Notice in verse 51, He has scattered those 
who are proud in their inmost thoughts. That word thoughts in the Greek, some translations say imaginations. In our vernacular, translation would be the word dreams. People who had all their dreams come true, are they blessed? Well, in verse 51, it says they're scattered. Verse 52, has brought down the rulers from their thrones. These are people that are at the top of their class. They were at the highest point in their career, the pinnacle. They were the rulers of the world, yet God brought them down. Verse 53, he has sent the rich away empty. Listen, there's nothing wrong with dreams, with riches, positions of power. The problem is when you magnify them, when they become your source of delight, when they become your source of identity, when they become your sense of pride, and that point you, at that point you've given them glory, and your soul no longer magnifies the Lord. You see, so often earthly blessings become curses because they take away from the true blessing, which is the presence and the promises of God. Sometimes God will give you a greater blessing through your failures than He ever will through your successes. God's greatest gift to you can be a failure because it puts you in a place where you need to feast upon God. A question we could ask ourselves, a good question to ask ourselves, is what do you rejoice in? Jesus once made this statement to His disciples in Luke chapter 10. He said, Do not rejoice that the Spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice that you're successful in whatever it is that you're doing. Rejoice in the fact that you know me. And if you ever let the former success keep you from the latter, then it will become a curse to you. God's greatest blessings may be in the form of failures. It may not be that God is no longer favoring you. It's that that may be the way that He is favoring you. What do you do to... What do you glorify? What do you magnify? Here's how you know. It's very simple. It's whatever you're rejoicing in. Notice in verse 46 and 47, Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Those two statements, glorify and rejoice, are connected. Whatever you glorify... Whatever you rejoice in, uh, whatever you glorify, you rejoice in. So the question for us this morning is this. What has to be in your life for you to have joy? What has to be in your life for you to have joy? When you look into the future, what has to be there for you to have joy? Because that's what you glorify. To glorify something, in the original Hebrew language, the word kabod, it means, it means weight. To glorify something means to give it weight. So let me ask you, what is so weighty in your heart that it causes you joy? What is so weighty that you cannot imagine being happy without it? That's what you're rejoicing in. Here, Mary is in the worst possible circumstances, rejoicing because she is blessed and highly favored in the presence and the promises of God. And that is glorified in her heart. You know, I think Mary might have been familiar with perhaps even quoting the words of Habakkuk chapter 3. So I'll close with this. It says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Stop right there, let me translate that. That's a Hebrew way of saying everything has gone wrong. The stocks have plummeted, the job's been lost, the wife has left, the kids have forgotten. Everything is wrong. Yet, 
I will rejoice in what? Say it with me. The Lord. Not what the Lord will give me, but the Lord Himself. Not for what He's going to do for me, but for what He has become to me. I will rejoice in the Lord who is holy, merciful, mighty, has reconciled Himself to me, has given, taken up residence in me, given me both His promises and His presence. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Listen, for some of you, this might be the worst Christmas ever for you. For the first time in your life, some of you, you're going to have Christmas without a loved one. Someone who is not going to be there this Christmas, and they were there last Christmas. And it's going to be unbelievably difficult for you. Yet, I will rejoice in God my Savior. I will choose to believe in the presence and the promises of God. They never change. And He's greater than any other blessing that He gives. He is the blessing. And with Him, I can give up all that I have because in Him, I have all that I need. Are you blessed and highly favored? You can be. It's a gift. The presence and the promise of God is a gift that He gives to all who will believe. The Gospel is that you are poor, you're blind, you're naked, you're guilty, you don't deserve to go to heaven. But because God cared about you, He became a man. He lived the life that you were supposed to live in holiness. He died the death that you were condemned to die in mercy so that He could forgive you and save you in mighty power. But it's a gift. You have to receive it. It's just like any gift. You're not going to get it because you're good enough. That's not why you get a gift. You don't get Jesus as your Savior because you come to church a lot. You don't get it because you pledge a lot of money to the church. You don't get it because you read your Bible consistently. You don't get it because you live a good life. You get it because you receive it as a gift, like Mary received it. And you rejoice in God your Savior. Have you received that gift? The reason that God's not personal to some of you is because you've been here, you've listened to the messages, but you've never made a personal decision to receive Jesus as Savior. And so He has never become in you His presence and His promises. But He offers it to you this morning. And all you have to do is receive it. You have to take it as a gift. Has God ever become personal to you? Have you ever received His offer to save your soul? Because you can this morning. Why don't you bow your heads, if you will, with me? Have you ever personally said yes to God's offer to save you in Christ? If not, you could do it right this moment. You could say something like this to God. God, I believe that Jesus came for me. I believe that He died to pay the penalty for my sin. And I receive Him right now as my Savior. Say that to Him in your own words. Jesus, right now I receive You as my Savior. I'm sorry for how I lived apart from You. That's repentance. And I'm coming home to You. God, come fill me with the Holy Spirit. I receive You. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.